0: good morning our sermon text this morning comes from ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 children obey your parents in the lord for this is right honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you so much for this morning to come and worship you. Father, we pray that you would turn the hearts of fathers to their children. And that you would turn the hearts of children to their fathers. Lord, we know that we live in a broken culture a culture that has destroyed many aspects of the family that you have crafted. Father, we pray that your word would go forth this morning and that it would bring healing and restoration, that the power of the gospel would be in all of our families, that we would shine out to this broken and dying world the beauty that you have formed in the family. Guard my mouth and my words. Help me not to lead these people astray. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm gonna set this aside here for. Well, it's actually been, I think, almost exactly two years since my family has joined the King's congregation. Um, it's been a blessing. This this church family has been such an incre- incredible resource and incre- incredible friendships and and blessings that have come from the relationships that we have made here. Uh, it's been a joy. We love being in Idaho. We came from central Washington uh, during COVID 2020, and it's been just an amazing time to be here in Idaho. Um, also, we are new to this area. And so recently, my family and I, along with Rachel's sister's family, uh, we went to Yellowstone. Never been to Yellowstone before. That was awesome. We saw bison. We saw a grizzly bear catching fish out of a river. Uh, We saw elk. Uh, One of the things that was kind of funny, though, is that between the two families, Rachel's sister's family and our family, we have seven kids. We have three. They have four, so seven total. And you might think that we were also part of the uh, exhibits in Yellowstone, everywhere we went. That's a lot of kids. There's a lot of kids there. Look at all those kids. We went in a grocery store, and literally around every single corner, every aisle, wow, that's a lot of kids. Look at all these kids. And I mean, for our church, that's not a lot of kids. (laughs) But for uh, our world's perspective on the family, it's a lot of kids. And it was humorous because it kept happening over and over, but when you think about it, it also kind of gives an indication of where the family is in our culture. The view of the family in our culture, the fact that uh, there are two families with combined seven kids is a shocking thing, kind of shows that for our world, children in particular are not something that is assumed when you see families going to and fro. We might even think about uh, the actual direct attacks on the family that are happening from our culture over the past several decades. We think about the rise of fatherlessness. We think about uh, the destructive power of pornography. We think, of course, of the, the terrible reality of abortion, 60 million children slaughtered in the womb. And what we begin to see is that, of course, it's shocking to our world. Of course, it's shocking that there are all these kids because we're no longer a society that values children. We do not value them Uh, Pastor Allen has said many times before that one of the things about living a biblical worldview out in the world is that since wickedness is normal out in the world, righteousness seems odd. And of course, all of this is rooted in the same lie that goes back to Genesis chapter 3. Throughout human history, there's different kinds of window dressings that go on the lie, but the lie is the same nonetheless. That lie ultimately is rooted in man's rebellious desire to remove God from his throne and to, to define good and evil for himself. We think about when it comes to the boundaries that God has set through his uh, creation. God spent Genesis chapter 1 defining boundaries, separating light from darkness, earth from sea. He set boundaries all over his creation and then he called it good. And the rebellious impulse in sinful man is to look upon what God has called good and say, no, 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 I can draw the lines better. We look at the way the family is being approached in our current culture and it's all about moving the lines, isn't it? Uh, There are terms like pregnant people, that is a thing. These are boundary markers being moved. This is something that's happening as man tries to rebel against the fundamental things that God has set in place. Now, every attempt to do this, every window dressing colors of this lie have been different throughout history, but it'd be good for us to remember the two prominent ones that are in our culture. The first is Darwinian materialism. One of the reasons why we as humans, sinful humans, can make excuses for moving God's good boundaries is because we've taken God out of the universe by saying all that exists is matter. You are just a sack of chemicals. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Right, You're just a sack of chemicals according to the secular, atheistic, materialistic worldview. Richard Dawkins puts it this way, the famous uh, atheist, he says, the universe that we observe has precisely the properties that we should expect, there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. And you might say, why in the world would anybody believe in a worldview like that? There is only despair at the bottom of that. Well, the reason is, is that if there is no God, then I can go and sin as I like. I can go do what i desire and i do not need to think about god's good boundaries the second aspect of the window dressing of this lie is postmodernism and again in kind of an oversimplification but at the root of postmodernism is this idea that there is no truth there is no truth there's no objective realities there's nothing that is true for all people for all time which is funny because that is a truth that is true for all people for all time can't get away from it, can we? There's objective realities. Even a worldview saying there is no truth is putting forward a truth that we all have to abide by. And of course, these kinds of things are philosophical, scientific. I like the way Pastor Alan talks about it. This is the, the uh, Gollum science, the Gollum worldview of taking the good tool of science and turning it into, into something wicked. But that's not how it's portrayed to us. It comes through stories. Worldviews are always attached to stories. We think about uh, songs as well that image this. I, I quoted uh, John Lennon a couple gospel words ago, but I wanted to read some of the lyrics again from his kind of postmodern, materialistic worship song, Imagine. He says, Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It's not hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine that all the people live in life in peace. So if we remove John Lennon's beautiful voice and we take away the piano riff and all that, if we just read the lyrics, this is craziness, isn't it? John Lennon says, burn it all down and there'll be peace. I don't think peace works that way. You can't set the building on fire and watch it burn down and go, there's peace. Look at that. I'm just living life today. We hear it in the music. And of course, we also see it in the Disney version of boiling all this down. Disney has been so good at taking these two uh, philosophical worldviews and then giving them to our children in particular. What's the the Disney line? Follow your heart. Right? Follow your heart. Why? Because it's all you got. You're just a sack of chemicals. And there's no other guiding light anywhere in the world because there's no objective truth. So just follow your heart. Of course, the scriptures tell us the true nature of the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And we get the answer in verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. It's God who sees the heart. Uh, we, this, this kind of idea of following your heart is not a popular thing in the Dowd household. And so, when my kids are reading books, we go to the library and get books. They're fine books, but there'll be a passage or something will be like, and Johnny followed his heart and did the right thing. And my son Clive will be like, Dad, he's following his heart. Don't do it. Follow Jesus. And so, like, this concept at the root is appealing to children. Follow your heart? No. Follow Jesus. Don't trust your heart. And so, we get to our text this morning. It's a simple but beautiful way of looking at how we as the church and the family of God and our families can be a witness to this dead and dying world that we can show in maybe shocking ways that God really has set good boundaries and that peace could be found in those good boundaries. So turning to our text this morning, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 Goes like this: Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. So, kids, children, this morning, Paul's talking to you. So, I want to spend a little bit of time talking to you. This might seem like a very simple thing we could read it in our Bible readings and skip over it, but it is actually extremely important because that Disney line, "Follow your heart." Really is taking you down a road that's opposite of what God would have you go down. I think about the Disney movie Moana, where there is a princess, and in order to save her island, she has to rebel against her father. Her father says, Don't leave the island, but she disobeys. And the way the story goes is that her disobedience brings peace. She burns the house down and it brings peace. Do you see? It's not true. That's not the way the world works. That's not the boundaries that God has set. Instead, Paul says to you this morning, to obey your parents in the Lord. For This is right. Paul in Romans also gives us a better picture of what he's talking about here. This is Romans 6.16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey... You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to life. So the modern lie is that you should rebel and obey the way of this world. See, obedience is involved. That's one of the other cool lies of our current culture. Be unique by rebelling like everybody else is doing. Right? You're so individual because you're with everybody else. You will obey something. Obedience, and of course, the way that we live our lives is connected to what we worship. Paul says you're either going down a road where your obedience is slavery in sin, or you're going down a road where obedience to Christ has set you free. Those are the two roads, those are the two paths. And again, we see these two paths come in conflict right in the life of Jesus. Children, it can be hard to obey. It can be difficult when your mom asks you to take out the garbage and you're right in the middle of reading that cool book. We can face that, that temptation. But Jesus, an example for us, He faced a far greater temptation of obedience. During his time in the wilderness, Luke chapter 4 verses 5 through 7, the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. You see, the serpent here again was testing the new Adam. He got the first Adam to fall. He's trying to get the second, the better Adam, to fall. And it's through the same sort of thing. Obey me. Worship me. Go down the road of destruction with me. And of course, Jesus says back to the serpent. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. So there are these two roads. Jesus rejected the serpent and He walked down this road in order to lead us in obedience. So children, why should you obey your parents? First and foremost, because it leads to life. Secondly, because practicing obedience is the way that you practice obedience to God. Practicing obedience with your parents is the way that you practice obedience to God. For instance, if your parents ask you to take out the garbage and you struggle with that, it is going to be much more difficult when God is moving you to leave your state and go somewhere else. Or when you need to step up to your employer and tell them that you are not going to do these things because you love Jesus. The obedience becomes more difficult. And so as children, when you are listening and obeying to your parents, you're actually building up a muscle of obedience to be able to do the things that God is calling to you to do later in life. And we see this principle. Jesus talks about this when it comes to Stewardship. If you are faithful with little, you will be ready to be faithful with much. If you are faithful as far as obedience is concerned in the little things, you will be ready to obey in the big things. Not only that, but this might sound shocking. Children, teenagers, this might sound shocking. Your parents might know a thing or two more than you. It's possible. I know it sounds shocking, but it... May be true. And the wisdom that you receive from your parents is something that will not depart from you. The ways in which God is forming you through your parents, those things will not depart from you. Proverbs six, twenty through twenty-two. My son, keep your father's command, and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart, tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you awake, they will speak with you. The wisdom that your parents are giving you are things that are going to shape you. I think, again, every, every maybe teenager at some point says, man, I don't want to be like my dad, I don't want to be like my mom. And then you grow up and become an adult, and you're like, I'm totally like my parents. I'm absolutely like my parents. <laughs> because those formative things shape you. They shape you. Now listen to the warning, children. So that's the the encouragement for you to do this. Proverbs also has a warning that if you don't heed your parents, if you don't listen to them. Proverbs 30, verse 17. The eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. Yikes, right? Right? Yikes. What is Solomon saying here? He's saying there are these two roads. Obedience leads to life. Rebellion leads to death. If you mock and forsake the teachings of your parents as they try to train you up in the Lord, it will not go well for you. Now, God is gracious. I didn't necessarily live a life of completely obeying my parents and God has been merciful to me. But the warnings here are stark in order to wake us up and to say, oh, my goodness, these are things that lead to life and I should take them seriously. Paul doesn't stop there, though. He doesn't say, children, just obey your parents because I said so. He goes on to add a good reason why. Verses two and three of Ephesians six. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Again, Pastor Allen has brought this up in his Genesis study that we've been going through. Paul changes that word from land, promised land, to the cosmos or the earth. The concept of the gospel and the gospel families going out into the world and shining the light of the gospel was always part of God's plan. But nonetheless, this commandment to honor your father and mother is rooted in those Ten Commandments. And it's the first commandment with that promise. Again, we see these two roads. We see a road that leads by rebellion to destruction. And we see a road by obedience that leads to life. So children, how should we obey? How should we go about obeying our parents? Um, If you are at Ambrose, you know what I'm about to say. (laughs) Because you hear it all the time. If you've been around classical circles, there's a chant that we use that's really helpful. It's obey right away, all the way, cheerfully, every day. There's three steps to that. Obey right away, all the way, cheerfully, every day. So first, children, you need to obey right away. When your mom and dad asks you to do something, when mom says, please take out the garbage, you don't want to let 30 minutes go by in obeying her. Right? She's not going to feel that you have done what she's asked you to do. I know that can be hard. can be difficult, especially when you're right in the middle of something. But the thing about obedience, and we see this in the life of Jesus, it's the command that's given to us as Christians. The thing about obedience is that it's not just, Mom, the thing that she wants me to do, it's something deeper than that, and I have to take ownership of that task. When mom asks me to take out the garbage, I take ownership of that. It's my task now. And so I put it at the first priority. Also, what happens here is complaining and disputing. Why do I have to take it out right now? I'll do it later. Or... Does it have to go all the way out to the garbage can? Or why do we even have garbage, right? This is where kids get really philosophical, don't they? It, like, becomes this, like, existential question. Like, what is garbage? Should we just shoot it into space? Who cares? You always know when things are not going well, when kids get philosophical about garbage. Nonetheless, we should put aside all complaining and disputing. And I'll I'll give this the, the children... One of the things about becoming an adult is that, not that we somehow stop complaining and disputing, is that oftentimes adults are just better at it than kids. We can hide it better. It sounds better. Our complaints are somehow more sophisticated, both adults and children. We need to obey right away. We need to do all things without complaining and disputing, as Paul says in Philippians 2.14. And so, obey right away. That's the first step. The second step is to obey all the way. Mom asks you to take out the garbage. You take the garbage out. You go out the front door and you drop it on the patio and you walk back in. Mom says, did you take the garbage out, son? And you say, yep, it's out. There's a problem there, isn't it? There's some issue going on. There, there, this is what we call an equivocation fallacy that has happened. Mom said, take the garbage out, which is the common meaning all the way to the garbage can. The bag goes in the garbage can, the lid goes back on it, and then you come in. Uh, but uh, the uh, son, in this case, has taken it outside and just set it on the porch. That's not what mom meant when she said, take out the garbage. The same thing's true as mom says, clean your room, and you take a couple dirty clothes and you throw them in the hamper and you go, oh, it's clean. Well, that's your definition of clean. That's not mom's definition of clean. And you know that the standard is not your definition of clean. It's mom's definition of clean. So obey right away, all the way. When we are given a command to do by our parents, we should do it all the way. We should do it not to our expectations, but to mom and dad's expectations. And the last one, maybe the most important one, obey right away, all the way cheerfully every day. And really that cheerfulness is actually supposed to be rooted in love. Because true obedience doesn't come from anywhere else except from love. Uh, Throughout the scriptures, we see that God is very much angered by compliance. Compliance is getting you to do an external behavior. A police officer might ask you to comply with moving from this sidewalk to the other sidewalk because there's some emergency over there. The police officer doesn't care about your heart in that moment. He just wants you to move from there to there as quickly as possible. It doesn't really care about the heart. True obedience is something that has to be rooted in your heart. That's what I mean by taking ownership of that command given to, given to you by your parents. It has to be rooted in love. We see throughout Israel's history times where Israel was complying with what God said. I think about Isaiah when he is convicting, bringing God's word to the leaders of Israel who would worship God in the temple one day and then they would go out and sacrifice their children in the valley of Tophet the next day to Molech and to Baal. God was angered with that because what was happening was outward compliance, it wasn't heart obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me. Children, this is the one thing, if you just look at me right now. If you want to show your parents a ton of love, obey right away, all the way, cheerfully, every day. You will bless their socks off. You will. Your mom, I mean, her smile will be so big. Your dad will be so proud. If you obey right away, all the way, cheerfully every day, you will bless the socks off your parents. They will be so pleased with you. And do it from that perspective of love. So, Paul first addresses children, and then Paul moves to addressing fathers. And so, uh, one of the things that kind of came up in my mind as I see this transition, I don't know if this was in the mind of Paul, but it's what came to my mind When Paul is addressing children and he's addressing fathers, it does seem like the same kind of pattern and recipe that we see in Malachi 4.6. This is talking about John the Baptist, the new Elijah who will come at the great day of the Lord when Christ would begin His ministry. What God is going to do through the ministry of Jesus Christ, what God is going to do in His people as the Gospel goes forward. Verse 6, And he will turn the hearts of fathers to children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So there's this problem that takes place in society where families begin to break down because there's a brokenness between fathers and children. And again, it's not hard to see the statistics that fatherlessness is one of the great problems in American society right now. And so the Gospel brings back and restores these relationships between fathers and their children. I'd like to pause here for a second before addressing the fathers to say, mothers, you are super important in this. And you might say, why doesn't Paul address mothers as well? This is maybe just from my experience. I think there's probably studies to back this up, but mostly from my experience, I've been in education for a long time. I've talked to a lot of families I've been in youth ministry for a long time. I've talked to a lot of families. In general, when it comes to the shaping of the heart of children, moms are already there, aren't they? They're already there. The the gift of motherhood already has alarm bells about shaping the heart of a child. If I'm sitting in a parent interview, it's typically the mom who's really concerned about making sure that the heart of a child is being shaped towards God. And so Paul's calling out to fathers because there are a couple reasons. First, God has designed the family such that the family's going to go where the father goes. If the father is a Christian, it's most likely that the children will be Christians. If the father is an atheist, it's most likely that the children will be atheists. God has so structured the universe that fathers have this kind of authority in their family. The second thing is that fathers can be distracted by the mission outside the house and not the mission inside the house. It can be easy for us as dads to get caught up with what's going on in our jobs, the things that are going on outside the house, rather than looking at the shaping of the heart of our children inside the house. The goal that Paul is trying to show for us is that we should follow Christ as fathers and then have our families follow us. We should follow Christ, and our families follow us. We should imitate Christ such that our children imitate us. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, just a chapter above, he says, "...therefore be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love." as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Fathers, the goal of your household is that it should be a sweet-smelling aroma. Life should be going on there. Peace should be going on there. The shaping of the heart of your children in the word of God should be going on there. Paul then gives us a command to do this. Paul tells us at first with a warning not to provoke our children to wrath. So when it comes to the shaping of the heart of our children, what should we not do first? That is provoking our children to wrath. In Colossians 3.21, Paul gives a similar warning to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Paul's getting at this Paideia. This is this word that we see in Ephesians six four. That is the full enculturation of your children in the Lord. It goes back to the Greeks. The Greek idea of paideia is that a citizen or a student would be fully formed to become a full citizen of the polis or the city state, ready to lead the next generation. This this means. Your, your, your heart, your soul, and your body. All the training that would need to be required in order for you to fulfill that role. The Romans also did a similar thing. And we can think about the great stories that are connected to this shaping. For the Greeks, it was the Iliad and the Odyssey. And for the Romans, it was the Aeneid and things like that. But Paul is taking that idea, which at his time is kind of a secular idea, and he's turning it to, into a Christian worldview. He's saying, not the paideia of the state... But the paideia of God, shaping the heart of the child in the paideia of God. One of the things that we have to understand is that if we don't shape the hearts of our kids, the state will. The world knows about paideia and the world is doing it. And so we take upon this responsibility to shape the hearts of our children. But we don't want to provoke them. So what are some of the ways, and there's a lot more that could be said on this, but what are some of the ways that lead us into provoking our children and not actually shaping them the way that we should? First is ungodly rules. We can have a lot of rules and a lot of rules that are connected to the paideia of dad and not the paideia of God, or we can have no rules at all. Both of these things are going to provoke wrath in your children or discouragement in your children we might say but god has a lot of rules why wouldn't i want to imitate god in having a lot of rules there were 613 uh, rules in the law of moses but once we start thinking about this we realize that those 613 rules are really just explanations of 10 rules and really those 10 rules are explanation of two rules love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength love your neighbor as yourself those are the rules. And so as dads, when we think about our family, we want to be shaping our family such that our rules are connected to those rules. Uh, the height of the grass when your son's mowing the lawn might look good. That's not necessarily a shaping thing for the paideia of the Lord, though. Do you see the difference? And if we stack up a bunch of those rules, it will cause frustration in our children. And of course, if you have no rules at all, what you are saying is that I'm handing my children over to the state to give the paideia and the shaping in their hearts. Secondly, ungodly discipline. Uh, It's pretty incredible when you read accounts of the power of a Roman father. Uh, I think Paul is probably thinking again in the context of an ancient father here. Ancient fathers ruled everything that their kids did, and it didn't matter when they left the house. The father still ruled even into adulthood. A Roman father had all kinds of power. He could even enslave his own children if he wanted to. I think Paul is thinking about this in one sense, where it can be so easy for fathers to be overly harsh in the way that they discipline their children. They can be harsh and petty. But I might say that where we are today is not that picture of the Roman father, Right? That is not the way fathers are viewed today. What we, what we see today is the Homer Simpson father. The father who is on the margins as an authority figure in his own family. The kids know better than him. His wife knows better than him. He's just kind of being dragged along from behind. The Bible is very clear when it comes to disciplining our kids. God disciplines those he loves. Paul says, or the author of Hebrews, whoops, sorry, now you know what I think about who wrote Hebrews. Uh, the author of Hebrews says in 12 verse, uh, chapter 12, verses seven and eight, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. And again, that chastening is paideia. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? That's the natural order of things, right? Discipline, fathers disciplining their children, that's the natural order of things. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Dads, if we do not discipline our children in love, in the gospel, if we're not doing that, then we're treating them not as sons and daughters. God disciplines those he loves, and we ought to discipline our kids that same way. We ought to remember, again, the Disney part of our culture would say that the heart of a child has no sin in it whatsoever. Right? This is the Rousseauian idea that if you just leave human children, throw them out in the woods somewhere, you'll come back and it's like Renaissance Italy. Right? Everything is beautiful and everything's perfect and they didn't have any rules and that just happened. The Bible, of course, gives us a different picture. Proverbs 22:15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And so, one of the ways that we can really love our children is by consistently, consistently disciplining them and bringing them to the gospel. Every time you discipline your children, bring them to the gospel. Pray with them. Restore them back to fellowship. Lastly, I think one of the things that can provoke our children is an inability, inability for fathers to apologize. Dads, we're, we're sinful. We're going to get it wrong. There's going to be times when we fly off the handle, when we snap, when we say something that we shouldn't do, when we do make a rule that just brings discouragement to our kids and our household. We need to take those opportunities and we need to apologize. That can be difficult. That can be hard. And it's hard because I'm so proud and my kids are so quick to forgive me. Oh, it's so hard. It's so humbling. But it's good. And it's an opportunity for us to say to our kids, son, daughter, The same gospel that you need is the same gospel that I need. I need it too. And so we have to be willing to have the humility to apologize to our kids. So that's the warning. Don't provoke your children to wrath. Don't discourage them. So what should we do positively? Well, we should be shaping our children in the paideia of God, meaning ordering the cosmos of our family in such a way that everything is pointing them back to Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. Everything in our family should be swirling around. All the planets and the stars and everything should be pointing to Jesus Christ. When should we do this? Well, again, the Bible gives us a picture. We're going to say it later in this service. Deuteronomy 6-7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. This means all the time. When do you shape the paideia of God in your children? All the time. This means that you need to give your kids a Christian education. You can't send your children down to North Central Molech High School and expect them to come back as Christians. You can't. They're going to be shaped in the paideia of the state, the paideia of Molech, and they're not going to be shaped in the paideia of God. You need to sing with your children. We just did Psalm 117. That's a great one to sing with your kids around the dinner table. Teach them to sing. You might go, I'm bad at singing. That's okay. It's all right. Step out. Sing. You need to be uh, immersing the imagination of your children in stories that God likes to tell. And of course, this is rooted in the Scriptures, which we'll talk about in a second. But you should be reading. Dads, read to your kids the great stories that reinforce the stories of the Gospel. We're reading right now uh, through the, 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 the Chronicles of Narnia. We are in the, the last battle, so the very last book. And the first part of this book, you have this confusion that's taking place in Narnia because there's a fake Aslan. And all the Narnians keep seeing and doing the things that Aslan's telling them to do, which is evil, and they keep saying, well, he's not a tame lion, which is from an earlier book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But the point that Lewis is bringing out is that the Narnians don't know what Aslan is like. May that not be of our kids. May they know the voice of God. May they know what he loves and what he hates. May they know the kind of stories. When things are looking really dark, when things are looking really evil, when everything seems to be coming down on it, we should know that God loves to turn those moments upside down in glory, doesn't he? That's something that God loves to do. He loves to turn evil upside down right when evil thought that it won. Our kids should know those stories. Think about the liturgies in your family. The way you wake up, the way you go to bed. One of the great things about our church is the liturgies that we do as a church. These are things that we do and not say. What a great opportunity for your kids to see you on your knees confessing your sins. That's going to leave a mark. It's going to shape the heart. You can do that at home. You can develop liturgies at home that will reinforce this paideia of God. And then how do we do it? Again, Paul gives us a hint with that word paideia in Second Timothy 3.16-17. through 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, paideia, in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped in every good work, How do you want your sons and daughters to be equipped for every good work? It's just wrapping them in the scriptures, isn't it? That means the scriptures have to come out of your mouth all the time. When things are hard, what comes out of your mouth? The scriptures. When something great happens, the scriptures. Discipline, the scriptures. Breakfast, lunch, dinner, the scriptures. When we awake, scriptures. When we go to bed, scriptures. When we're walking down the way, scriptures. One of the things I like to do is when I have to run errands, I live in Middleton, which means I'm 35 minutes from anything. And so I'll take one one of the kids with me. And what is it? It's just an opportunity. I'm just going to go to Home Depot, grab something and come back, but that's opportunity for me to speak the scriptures to my kids. Take every opportunity that you're given to do it. And if you can think, how are ways that I can start to weave the scriptures into the fabric of my household? So the last thing that we should remember is that this is hard <laughs> and we stumble and we fail but God is gracious and one of the ways that you can communicate God's covenanting love the love that stays with us even though we stumble and fall the love that causes us to bring, to bring us back up from our knees again that love of at the very end of the day looking at your son like boom right here like eyes to eyes right here In you, son, in you, daughter, I am well pleased. But dad, it was a hard day today. (laughs) I got a lot of spankings today, dad. It's okay. We confessed. We went to Christ. We sought forgiveness. My love is like God's love. In you, I am well pleased. And of course, that's what the father says to the son. In you, I am well pleased. And so ending the day with something like that, reminding that your love is a covenanting love, like God's love, will build that foundation within their hearts. So as we close, how can we do this? Well, I think I really, really like what Pastor Allen said in the Gospel Word this morning. How do we do this? Kids, how do we obey? Right away, all the way, cheerfully every day. Dads, how do we properly order our family? We have to cling to Jesus Christ, don't we? It's all through him. You cannot do this on your own. You must admit that you need Christ. Some of you might go, Nathan, I don't even know, like there's so many pieces here. I don't even know where to put these pieces. Just start with one. Just put one piece down. Just pick one thing. We're going to start singing at dinner time. And that first time, guess what? It's probably going to be a train wreck. That's okay. Keep doing it. Keep doing it don't stop and once that piece is down lay another piece down lay another piece down and another piece down we need to cling to jesus when the doubts come if you're a parent you know that there are those nights where you wake up at 2 a.m and you think of your kids and all the terrible things that might happen and those thoughts come rushing in on you like a, like an avalanche and what do we have to do cling to the promises of god Cling to the promise that Peter preached in Acts 2. Repent lest every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children. Deuteronomy 7.9 Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have to trust the Lord. And I know some of you here who maybe have adult children and maybe some of those children have left and rebelled against the Lord Jesus. That doesn't mean we stop hoping. It doesn't mean that we stop praying. It doesn't mean that we stop asking for repentance. It doesn't mean we stop sharing the gospel. One of the great storylines that we see in the Bible is what? The prodigal son who rebels against his father and then comes back. This is a storyline that God loves. Don't lose hope. Continue. I think about St. Augustine and his, his mother, Monica, how many decades Monica prayed for St. Augustine to come to Christ, how diligent she was in prayer. Keep praying. Don't give up. Trust the promises of God. So as, as we close, we just have to cling to Jesus. That's the big thing. And as we come to end our service, as Pastor Allen leads us in communion, we get to realize our place in the family of God, don't we? All of us are sons and daughters of the living God, and we get to come and sup at his table. We get to receive grace from him. We get to receive forgiveness with him. And we get to hear in Christ, you get to hear in Christ, in you, I am well pleased. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.